This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Hello! It's the last episode of 2020. Because it's the last episode of 2020, I have some updates for you before digging into the episode. Firstly, my Patreon page is changing its name and URL. Rather than the page saying Stephen Trigar and the URL ending with Stephen J. Trigar, the Patreon page is fully transitioning over to the Composer Chronicles. All members of the Patreon page will still continue to enjoy all the same benefits as before, including early access to ad-free versions of every episode, access to the Patreon podcast unscripted, and all other benefits one can find at higher levels. The only thing that's changing is the name. So if you're interested in becoming a member of my Patreon page, you can now go to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. All previous episodes will have a note at the beginning making listeners of those episodes know that the old URL will no longer work. Secondly, well, there's not really another announcement, but let's just say that there's a ton of great things that are planned for 2021, so keep your ears peeled. In the home of the Marquis de la Force, he and his son, the Chevalier de la Force, anxiously await the return of Blanche, whose carriage has been stopped by a crowd of revolters on her way home. Blanche has had enough of this nightmare, and she decides to enter the Carmelite convent as a nun. The convent hesitantly accepts her into the order, warning her that they are not a refuge. A few days later, Blanche, who has taken on the name of Sister Blanche of the Agony of Christ, is going about her daily chores with Sister Constance. Sister Constance's ceaseless drivel leads to her revealing that she had a dream that she and Blanche would die young together. The Mother Superior, who is dying, tells Mother Marie that she is to take care of Blanche. With both Mother Marie and Blanche in her presence, and stirred up by her delirium and agonizing pain, the Mother Superior denounces God for having abandoned her despite all the years of service to him. This event, together with Sister Constance's dream, frightens Blanche more than she can handle, and during the deceased Mother Superior's requiem service, Blanche has a moment of courage to leave the convent. But she is stopped by Mother Marie, and Blanche plays it off as going to seek for the next nun on duty. Her brother comes to the convent to retrieve Blanche, saying that she is not safe there. The revolution is not just targeting the aristocrats, they are also targeting clergy and other members of the church. Blanche dismisses her brother, claiming that she has found happiness and peace in the Carmelite convent. However, later, she admits to Mother Marie that she did not leave with him because of her fear of fear itself. The chaplain has gathered the nuns to tell them that he is no longer permitted to hold services. Upset, the nuns think of ways to help, and Mother Marie suggests that the Carmelite nuns lay down their lives to show the people of France that the church will not give in to the demands of the revolution. The new Mother Superior disagrees with this notion, saying that it is God who gets to choose who is a martyr. Police officers arrive to announce that the convent and all its property have been nationalized. The nuns are to give up their religious habits, and when Mother Marie acquiesces, 
one of the officers laugh at her for giving up her garb so easily. She simply replies that it is not what she wears that determines her faith. Later, in the absence of the Mother Superior, Mother Marie gathers the nuns and convinces them to take the vow of martyrdom. They must all vote, and it must be unanimous or they will not go through with it. Each nun votes in secret, but there is only one dissenting vote. Every nun knows who it is, but they are surprised when Sister Constance admits that she was the dissenting vote, and she has now changed her mind. Blanche runs from the convent to avoid taking on the vow of martyrdom. After some time, Mother Marie goes out in search for Blanche, and she finds her in the library of her father's former home. Her father is now dead, having his head cut off by the guillotine. Blanche has now become the servant of her own former servants, and Mother Marie tells her to meet her in a secret place, where they both can continue living their lives in peace. However, Blanche never shows up. In the meantime, the rest of the Carmelite order has been arrested and condemned to death. Blanche catches word of this on the streets and runs to the Place de la Nation. Mother Marie also catches word of this, but she arrives too late. Blanche has joined her sisters in their march to the guillotine, singing the Salve Regina. Until there is only Blanche left, she sings the final stanza on her own as she proceeds to the scaffold and dies with her sisters. This heartbreaking fictionalization of true events was expertly set as an opera by the French composer Francis Poulenc. Buckle in for this episode, because Poulenc's own story while writing this opera is just as heartbreaking as the opera itself. From Alexandrian Media, this is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that delves into the stories of composers past and present. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 31, Devotion. Poulenc was born into a devout Roman Catholic family, so his desire to write sacred music and works based on religious things shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Without going into too much detail, as I will save more information about Poulenc's younger years for later episodes, Poulenc had a difficult life as a young adult. With the loss of both of his parents by the time he was 18 years old, along with his struggle to accept his own homosexuality and other traumatic events, 
Poulenc abandoned his faith for quite some time before rediscovering it in the mid-1930s. It was because of even more traumatizing events that Poulenc turned his attention back towards the Roman Catholic Church, and his music and career as a composer would do the same. In 1936, his colleague Pierre-Octave Ferrand was brutally killed in a car crash, which caused Poulenc enough distress for him to take a holiday to reflect upon the fragility of human life. While on this holiday, he traveled to the sanctuary of Roccamador, where he was so struck by the beautiful atmosphere of it that his faith was once again revived. Poulenc started off the 1950s with great enthusiasm. He had a new partner in his private life, a traveling salesman by the name of Lucien Gobert. His private life wasn't the only thing that kept his spirits up. Professionally, he was engaged in several projects, including writing a seven-song cycle setting the poems by Eluard, titled La Fraîcheur de la Foule, and his now-popular Stabat Mater. By 1953, Poulenc had been approached by the Italian opera house La Scala and the publishing company Ricordi, and they commissioned him to write a ballet. At first, he considered the idea of writing a ballet based on the life of St. Margaret of Cortona. However, he found this story to be impractical for dance, but he was committed to writing something based on a religious theme. That year, choreographer, ballerina, and opera director Margaret Wallman, also known as Margarita Wallman, took her husband to see a production of the play Dialogue de Camelite by Georges Bernanos. Wallman's husband, who was the president of Ricordi, became enthralled by the idea of having his client Poulenc write an opera based on this play, knowing that Poulenc was a devout Roman Catholic and looking for material for his new commission. Poulenc had already seen the play separately, but it was because of the suggestion by Ricordi that Poulenc switched from writing a ballet about St. Margaret of Cortona to writing an opera based on Dialogue de Camelite. The play that Poulenc's opera is based on has a pretty intense history of its own. I suggest if you're interested in learning a bit more about the history of the play itself that you subscribe to my Patreon. This Friday, on my December episode of Unscripted, I'll be discussing the play and all the issues and legal battles that ensued after its creation. For now, I will say, Gertrude von Lafort, the writer of the original novella that Dialogue de Camarite is based on, gave conflicting rights to two different parties in 1949. This caused a terrible legal battle between the executor of Bernanos' estate and the American writer Emmett Lavery, who had been given all rights to theatrical adaptations of Von Lafort's novel, despite giving Bernanos' estate rights to publish the play months prior. It's quite a mess, and a very interesting story, but this caused problems for Poulenc, who had just begun writing the operatic adaptation in August of 1953. This story deeply moved Poulenc, but for now he was forced to stop working on the opera until the dispute was settled. All the work he put into this opera already could all be for nothing if anything went wrong with this case but all he could do was wait. While waiting, things started to take a turn for the worse in Poulenc's life. We'll pick back up after the break.
What would a world without music be like? I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle, to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite, and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. I start listening when I get into my car, and then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiancé. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash thecomposerchronicles and get your first 30 days for free. You can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads. So again, go to getamazonmusic.com slash The Composer Chronicles and start listening on Amazon Music Unlimited today. While the dispute between Bernanos' estate and Lavery continued, Poulenc's partner Lucien Robert became gravely ill. All was beginning to look bleak on all fronts in Poulenc's life, and his constant worrying pushed him into a nervous breakdown. His breakdown was so severe that in November of 1954, Poulenc was brought to a clinic just outside of Paris and sedated until his breakdowns subsided. Although Poulenc was making his own libretto based on Bernanos' play, the agreement stated that Poulenc could keep all creative credits of the opera, but Emmett Lavery must be listed in the credits after Bernanos and before Van der Voort, despite Lavery contributing absolutely nothing to the opera. Just happy that he could resume work on the opera again, Poulenc agreed to these terms and resumed work on the opera. While composing the opera, Poulenc composed practically nothing else except for a few short works. He worked closely with Wallman during the composition process, where she helped him with the structure of the opera. By this time in his life, Poulenc was openly gay, despite the church he devoted himself to opposing homosexuality. Even still, Poulenc's spirituality and loyalty to the Roman Catholic Church didn't falter, writing some of the most gorgeous settings of religious text. Poulenc worked quickly, but he worked with passion, and within the final months of 1955, Poulenc was beginning to finish the opera. All the while, Robert had not recovered from his illness. 
Poulenc stayed by his side day and night, composing Dialogue de Camelite every moment he could. In October of 1955, Robert died while Poulenc was putting the final touches on his opera. A few days later, Poulenc wrote to his friend that, quote, Lucien was delivered from his martyrdom ten days ago, and the final copy of Le Cavalite was completed. Take note, at the very moment my dear breathed his last. End quote. One of Poulenc's wishes for the opera was that it be performed in the vernacular of the local audience. As the opera was commissioned by La Scala, the premiere of the opera was not performed in the popular French version we know it in. Rather, it was performed in an Italian translation at La Scala on January 26, 1957. Although it premiered in Italian, the original language of the opera was still French. The original French version would premiere later that year on June 21st at what is now the Paris Opera. For this production, Poulenc chose his own cast. Of course, given the content of this opera, Poulenc was nervous to have this opera performed in his home country of France. Aside from the setting of the French Revolution, World War II still lingered in the air after it ended just over 10 years earlier, but Dialogue de Camelite was a huge success for the opera. Around this same time, Poulenc even began another romantic relationship. This relationship was with a former soldier, Louis Gautier, and the two would remain partners until the end of Poulenc's life. Everything was looking up for Poulenc. His beloved opera was a huge success and on its way to the United States to be premiered in San Francisco, and he found love once again, while continuing to be devoted to his faith. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating and a review on either Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you get your podcasts that allows you to rate and review. This episode was written, researched, and produced by me, Stephen Trigar, with theme music by Daryl Banner. Other music and sources used for this episode can be found in the show notes or by visiting alexandriamedia.org slash The Composer Chronicles. You can find The Composer Chronicles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, via the handle Cron Podcast on each platform. The Composer Chronicles is also on Patreon. For only $1.50 per month, members get early access to ad-free versions of every episode and a Patreon podcast named Unscripted. There's more great stuff at higher levels, so go to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles and sign up right now. Your support on the Patreon page goes right back into the podcast helping me to grow the show. Next week, we're continuing the religious theme when we hear about the life of Gabriel Faure, whose own requiem was played at his funeral. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.